good afternoon and good evening, depending on what time of the day it is for you as you're tuning into our 39th episode of formerly titled Two Irish Guys Discussing Software and normally hosted by our eminent original CEO and co-founder, Tomás O'Leary. But uh, unfortunately, Tomás, or some of you might say, fortunately, Tomás is not with us today. He's gallivanting somewhere, I think, uh, changing the software world somewhere in the South Pacific. Um, But that's okay because his co-host, which is myself, Brendan Mulch, is here with you today. And with our more recent non-Irish, but I think it was called last week, was called normal person or persons of or something like that. The most referred to you as Harry Candidai, uh, originus. <laughs> Re- regular guy. Regular ju- regular guy. That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's a, I am a regular guy. Yeah. Yeah. And you are also our regular SVP of global marketing and thought leadership here at Origina. Um, and I think, Harry, you're in, in the West Coast of the US right now? I am in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. That's right. Pleasure to be here, Brendan. Yeah, great to do this for a change with you. Been doing this a few times with Tomas, so this is good. I've missed a couple, but I'm back, baby. I know. And we're also joined by a very good friend of Origina's and uh, also a member of our our advisory board, and we'll do a kind of a lengthier introduction later. But Stephen O'Donnell, I think we call you Steve. Stephen, don't we? Absolutely. And uh, Stephen's here to help us discuss the topic at hand for the episode, which is how to keep your IT roadmap free of vendor and budget roadblocks. So a very topical discussion. And we've been kind of doing tours of Gartner conferences and various other gigs around the place, Harry. And this is very topical. It's kind of been prime time in some of our presentations. So we're going to get into the meat of that later and discuss how do you actually do that? How do you how do you free up those roadblocks, be it vendor obstacles? Our budget issues so that you can crack on with your digital transformation programs. But as ever, as ever, we have lots of things to discuss. This is a podcast to talk about software, and it's, as ever, full of news and views and sometimes salacious rumors. And normally we use the word allegedly in front of those so we don't get in, into any trouble. But we try to keep our listeners up to date on what's been going on in the world you know, a roundup of various news news articles that are newsworthy and uh, thematical. And there have been lots of things happening in the news. I mean, I missed the last, last podcast myself. I did listen to yeah. it, but some of that is worth, you know, rehashing because, you know, for some of the vi- visitors today that may have missed it. Yeah. Now, a lot of juicy gossip <laughs> for sure, Brendan. We should cover some good ground, but yeah, I think it's worth Worth the recap. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the first one that uh, Tomas and I did back in. We touched upon it in the November and December podcasts. And in case anyone missed it, uh, this is about the IBM price increases that they announced through Q4 of last year. Right? Mm. You recall back in September. Love the term general price harmonization. That's what Lovely. they call that, and that's for the uh, IBM Passport Advantage, Passport Advantage Express, and. Uh, about the eight percent increase for most of the world, but could come into November. There's another announcement, right? Distributed software price changes, depending on 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 where you are in the currency, it could be anywhere from nineteen to twenty four percent. And that, because of the timing, just you know, it, it, customers were blindsided by that, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. going to think about this. Every all the software asset managers, 
Everybody's heading into this 2023. They got their budgets planned. <laughs> and suddenly this, this whole thing comes out of nowhere. And that threw them in a loop. I recall uh, one article just very quickly on this one. Rich Gibbons from ITAM Review. I remember his oh, yeah, article Rich. where he, yeah, he talked about how this thing could potentially, if not already, backfire. And he did make a point that that has become one of the reasons that an option like third-party support or alternative companies are going to look for, customers are going to look for alternative products just because of these kind of high-handed or blanket changes, which is just not acceptable. But but it just seems like outrageous, right? I mean, IBM, I was reading some articles recently, which is probably why I brought it up, because it seems to be still topical. They didn't just call it harmonization. They actually called it modest. I mean, I don't, in no sense of the word is 24% you know, modest. And then I was talking to our one of our license experts here today, and I said, how many products does that impact? Because is it like a few? 15,000 part numbers or products are impacted. So you can't really get away with it. I mean, you can't escape, right? Here's the problem, right? I mean, it's it's going to, this is this is a credibility issue. This is, I remember a quote, I can't remember who, uh, but, you know, can't, can't remember a, a, a credible vendor pushing and uncamouflaged, this is this is how this goes back to the outrage part, right? This is, I mean, you know, they, they just seems like they just don't care. Uh, pushing these kind of big blanket increases, probably, you know, maybe even sometimes once in a lifetime type act yeah. that's going to destroy a lot of credibility. But anyway, so that was yeah. one news we well, covered. Yep, yeah, go ahead. well, like Steve, Steve has bought... Yeah. $30 billion worth of software, believe it or not, in his lifetime. So, Steve, I'm like, have you ever seen anything yes. like this? Um, really? I'm, I mean, my take on this is that IBM used to be one of my favorite vendors because they were always into looking after the customer. You know, if you had, a, if you had trouble, if you had something, big outage, lots of issues, IBM would always step up and help out. And you paid a premium price for it. But this is this is kind of like a, it's, it feels just like a shakedown, you know. Mm. You're running a little corner shop, and some guys come in and shake you down for a, a bag full of cash. That's exactly what it feels like. They they've got the power. The customer finds it really difficult to get rid of the software that the the price has gone up with, and it's it's just a shakedown. Mm. But the other thing that absolutely incensed me, I, I just couldn't believe this was when they said that they were going to not tell customers about changes to licensing rules. They were going to publish them on the internet. So you've got, you said 17,000 products. So if you've got one of those 17,000 products, you're going to have to be spending half your life checking the internet to see if you're legal or not. And if you're not legal, you're going to get audited and you're going to get done over again. Yeah, well, we're going to come. We're going to come to the IPA uh, changes in a minute because there's a there's a few other galling changes in that document. But yeah, I think the price changes is one, and then you know, capped off by you know changes to IPAA. But any other news there? On no, it's just, along the lines of another one. We another topic we talked about Tomas and I last time, and you know, just continuing Steve's thought on auditing. Right? I mean, think the the other big mega vendor here, Oracle, and what they've been doing. You know, this is almost, it's so funny, it's, a, it's almost like 
mirror mirror on the wall who's the nastiest of them all right it's like one of those things with like they're trying to outdo each other you know we call it or not we but the, you know experts call it this unprecedented auditing behavior and if you've been following the java licensing model change that they've been doing huge issues for companies right another originalist friends uh, pam fulmer if you recall, Brandon talked about the Java audit bomb a couple of years ago in one of these podcasts. So bottom line is in one fell swoop, Oracle completely changed the rules in pricing around licensing Java. You know, this is, and they've ramped up audits as a result. And we and we predict that Java will be a huge part of this Oracle audit activity in 2023 and beyond. Now talk about a growing revenue stream when you can't sell software the good old-fashioned way. What happened to those days when you competed on quality and features and capabilities mm. and, and, and increase your revenues? This is another way. This is a, this is a big revenue stream. So, and and it, I'm, I'm just picking on Oracle, but all, all the mega vendors are in this category trying to, okay, so whose pockets can we put more, you know, our hands in? And as Steve says, uh, shake down. Well, Harry, the, the thing is that, you know, if the software is live and it's, and there's a big team developing it. There's new features. Those features are valuable to customers. You almost don't mind paying for that because mm -hmm. you get value. Sure. But the product's dead. There's no more development going into it. All the people who used to, to, to support that product or write the code for the product are actually probably working for Origin, Origina rather <laughs> than working for IBM. That's not a joke. Yeah, I've yeah. come across so many of them. And you're just not getting value. You know, the, the risk-averse customer says, well, you know, we've got to keep doing what we've always done. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk a lot more about this specific, you know, main topic, which is, you know, the vendor tactics and the vendor roadblocks and the budget roadblocks in a few minutes. But we did touch upon the recent IPAA changes. So the IBM Passport Advantage program changes, uh, not to be confused with the IBM Passport License Agreement, which is an underlying agreement for your perpetual license entitlements. This agreement hasn't been updated in about, I think it's six years, 2017, if my research serves me well. And it applies to everybody. Oh, well, all new customers immediately and current customers from the 1st of May. And I picked out three things and, and you kind of touched upon one of them already, Steve, and there may be others that you've, you've picked upon. But while there's, you know, not a huge amount of change, there are some significant ones. And the significant one is just how challenging it's going to be for companies to keep their house in order. I mean, they already have a challenge, right? We know it's difficult. Compliance is not easy. You have to have a SAM team. You have to have SAM expertise. You've got to buy tooling to do it. You've got to buy tooling from some of IBM's partner companies, or you can buy tooling from them. But there's, a, there's already a cost to be robust in your processes. But So on top of all of that, now IBM is saying that the clients will have to, for all programs, all sites, which are Passport Advantage sites, and for all environments, provide IBM upon request with 30 days notice, a report, which isn't defined, of deployed programs in a format not defined, requested by IBM, with 30 days notice, using records, system tools, outputs, and other system information not defined. I mean, so they're asking for something to be provided, which is, you know, extremely difficult to do within 30 days notice, and they haven't even defined how you're supposed to do that. I mean, this is, it, like, what's going on? It's the shakedown. 
is to shake down. <laughs> it is. They want, I mean, I, I've been through so many software audits as a CIO. They start off, they come in. It doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Oracle, Microsoft, CA, Computer Associates, BMC, um, SAP, IBM. They come mm -hmm. in. And the first thing is they want to terrify you. They want to terrify you to get you to, to be really concerned. And the point is that when they get to the end of the exercise, they want to get you in a position where you're very weak. You don't really know what you've got. They think that they know what you've got. And then they want to negotiate with you some big price increase, a whole bunch of new licenses that you didn't think you needed. I remember once with Oracle being told I owed them $2 billion. This is when I was at Cable and Wireless. That's not a joke. It's a fact. Yeah. Because we, we had one of our systems pointing at the internet and uh, we had it licensed on per user rather than per core. Um, really simple thing, but uh, there you go. It's that kind of, mm. you know, terrorism. That's the word I would use. It's terrorism, that tactics, to yeah. frighten the customers and get them to soften up to pay more money. Yeah, yeah. And, Love uh, it, technology terrorism. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, like that, that that should get everybody's blood boiling, right? So yeah. this is this is exactly what Steve said. This is changing the rules, but the game is still on. I mean, depend. You know, you just keep the keep moving the goalpost, and you're trying to maximize or get get as much revenue you can in any and every mm. way possible. Yeah, yeah. And we 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 previously had a chap on here, and we talked about hostage negotiation tactics i cut you know then but now we have a new there one it's, te it's technology terrorism or it's getting worse <laughs> oh yes you know that's oh it goes back to the point right i mean all that you mentioned that you need to do in 30 days it's just unbelievable that you've been asked to do that but i go back to steve that two billion dollar example and i'm sure so many cios but would love to get your take with this kind of these kind of trends from all these big mega vendors, it's not a question of if, right? It's a question of when they'll come knocking on your door. You got to be in an, an offense position regardless, meaning now's a great time. If you haven't received that call or a knock on your door, make sure you have the right team, make sure you have the right tools to, to manage, to monitor your uh, IBM software uh, deployments across the enterprise, right? Because who knows where they look for? They might look for it uh, in disaster recovery. They may look for it in dev environments or test environments. You never know because- the Well, it's all, well, it's all so, environments. It's like it is, it it's is all, all environments. It does it's say all, all sites, environments. All okay. programs. And it's not just for programs that are eligible for subcapacity. It's, it's well, you know, it's extending it's okay. it to every program. I mean, the only option hey, really go. is- this is too hard now. It's too hard to manage this. The threat is too big. They're coming after you. So the only thing to do is get rid of this software, get it out of your data center and expedite that or transition. Get, or get rid of the vendor. I mean, I'm a, actually, the vendor, yeah. I, find this, I find this objectionable. We in, in enterprises spend an absolute fortune in buying this enterprise software, hundreds of thousands of pounds, millions of pounds on some occasions. And then the vendor, which I think is against, it's against common law practices, mm. changing the law after the event. It's mm. about, you know, you're not allowed to walk down that street yesterday. Now I'm going to arrest you, um, making that law up tomorrow. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it does not make sense. So the thing to do is to get rid of the vendor. You don't necessarily mm. to get rid of the software, because mm. if you've got perpetual licenses, mm. you don't need the vendor anymore. 
but you might have to do away with vendor with, with the vendor well I, I mean but but what they're doing in the agreements to that point how do i get rid of the vendor so the lawyers must have thought this one through because what they're saying now in some of their language relating to subscription and support renewals is that if you want to reduce the number of licenses so i i want to get rid of the vendor so i'm going to say well i don't need your support mr vendor i do want to keep my perpetual licenses so I want to reduce the number of licenses under support. I want to reduce all of them. You now need to prove that you've reduced your software usage 30 days prior to renewal. And if you can't prove that, or if you can't reduce it, you're going to have to pay full dollar, even if you're using less software, and you're going to have to pay the 24% increase. So while it's absolutely right to get away from their vendor, they're making it harder. I don't even understand that. <laughs> you have a perpetual license. And you own the license, right? I mean, that's what the perpetual license is. You've paid it. License for a thousand users. What are they talking about? Yeah, that yeah. does not make common sense to me. Yeah, well, it's not supposed to make sense, and this is why they write it this way because it's supposed to be very hard to interpret, so that they can come back at you and tell you later, this is what we meant. And you've said it already. Now they can change the, these terms that we're just talking about without notification. So. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. You've got to keep your eye on the websites. You've got to look out for those 404, you know, page missing uh, and, and make sure you're up to speed. But look, let's if you can't, uh, if you, I was just going to say, Brendan, uh, your last point, you can, if you can't convince them, confuse them. So they get scared. <laughs> they don't know what you're missing and they're going yeah. to, you know, play by your book, which is exactly what we'll talk about. These are classic examples of a vendor dictated roadmap, right? Yeah, well, when you can't software innovate, you got to contractually innovate. So that's what's going on. But there's been a few other things. I mean, IBM is seems to be a big team this week because there's been some other kind of interesting things going on with IBM. Harry, what's what? Tell us about yeah. that. Oh my gosh, uh, more more juicy stuff. They just uh, IBM keeps on giving more and more news, and this one is a a, a new securities uh, fraud lawsuit brought upon them. The, the the lawsuit goes on to say that the IBM allegedly deceived the market about its progress in developing Watson cloud technologies and other mm. new sources of revenue by deliberately misclassifying the money it was making from mainframe deals and assigning that money to these products. So yeah, so the, think about it, right? The IBM top brass accused again and mainframe, as you know, for IBM, it's, it's a near monopoly business. So they have a lot of that. But what about all these lesser, less popular technologies? They got to keep uh, uh, Wall Street happy. You got to, you know, you got to move and show the movement to the cloud and be creative. So what I understand is they start bundling these uh, the, the technologies, newer, less popular technologies in these three to five year mainframe ELAs. And they've been going after these healthcare insurance companies, the big ones. And finally, somebody, you know, I can't remember who the lawsuit was from, but they say, okay, these are false misleading statements about your financial results, your cloud computing business. And this is artificially inflating stock prices. So that's love mm. to see how this pans out, but it's clear. It's like, you know, all this, as you say, you know, being creative with contract and be creative with your revenue assignments because at some point that's what the market's looking for and your and that's what Wall Street wants. So they're being yeah. very creative. Well, Harry, there's a there's a difference between being creative and misstating. 
<laughs> so being creative, all, all accountants, all CFOs are creative. You know, they they stretch the envelope in order to, to position the company. But if you're saying that mainframe support revenues are cloud revenues, um, I'm not a lawyer here, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be locked up for, for, for saying something out, out of line here. But to me, as a layman, that sounds like it's misstatements. Yeah. It sounds yeah. illegal. Oh, the claim that that it is illegal, and the Securities and Exchange Commission will be brought in to to adjudicate. But if, you know, if I'm a pension fund and I'm plowing my money into a into a vendor where I think the sexy AI cloud technology uh, revenues are being are increasing, and I see a trend, and I say, well, I'm going to go after that vendor. But really, really, it's just some other techno old legacy technology being dressed up as cloud. Well, that's just pure fraud. Now, as to whether they're yeah. doing it or not. We don't know, but but yeah. we'll see as the lawsuit. It'll definitely be one to follow when we get down the road in podcast number 45 or something to see what yeah. comes out of that. The but bottom the line way- there is it's all these bundling tactics, right? It makes it so hard. And then when you bundle it in a, in a big, this big mainframe thing and parsing out and then you assign it. So anyway, well, so that's well, one, one, rule, juicy one rule for the customer and another rule for us. But of course. Uh, yeah, but, I, but IBM is already in court this this time by its own doing. It's it's suing Microfocus. Right? It, it, so, it is suing Microfocus. Let's see where this one goes. And if you've missed that news, then this is about IBM saying that Microfocus has uh, infringed on its IBM patents by <laughs> sounds sneaky by entering into business agreement to gain access to their systems and then reverse engineer their their kicks or CICS mainframe services to allow use of generic hardware instead of the IBM mainframes. Now that they won't let have. I mean, gosh, mm. you, you know, this is a it's like ninety percent support margin business, right? Nobody's going to let go of that IBM mainframe business. That's their monopoly almost. They're not going to let go of that. So. They are going hard, uh, hard after microphone. It reminds me of a past uh, lawsuit, Brendan and Steve, if you recall. I think it was called LZ Labs or something. The yeah. company accused, uh, that's when IBM accused them of opening a shell company to gain access to IBM software systems. And they mm. claimed that they, they, the LZ Labs team they reverse engineered all of this into other mainframe alternatives. So the net of this is anything to do with mainframe, so they are very much in court. And yeah, well, that'll be a, sure. that'll be a big one because Microfocus have just been bought by OpenText. I think it was a six billion dollar transaction. So twice twice Oops. Microfocus revenues, which were about three billion. Microfocus have been struggling as a company, but they Microfocus say, which is which is fair, they have been. They've been doing this for twenty years. They've been helping sure. companies get off mainframe and lifting and shifting, with no code change these application processing systems to non-mainframe. So I don't know, have you had any experience with with this, Steve, using these tools or? It's it's really commonplace because when when you've shrunk your mainframe or mid-range platforms down to bare minimum, the cost of running that small estate becomes completely off the charts. You need to do something. You need to move move it onto another platform. Microfocus was a reasonable way of doing it. Yeah. To be frank, Microfocus's licensing regulations are very similar to IBM's. <laughs> yeah. You're jumping out of the frying pan and falling in the fire. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're both they're both tarred with the same brush, but they will be tarring each other in court because my, IBM is causing causing it brazen theft, and Microfocus <laughs> is saying it's it's this is what we've been doing. It's our core business. So that will be a big a big one uh, when they get into battle. 
But let's okay. le let's leave IBM alone. I think we've picked on IBM enough for today. There must be some. <laughs> I think we we mentioned AI there as being one of the new sexy software. I, oh, like what's what's going on gosh. in the AI world? I hear a lot about. Uh, I hear a lot of chat about AI. So what's happening? <laughs> no. Oh no! No tech conversation is complete without AI or Chat GPT today, right? Gosh, yeah. the it's taken the world by storm. But here's the reality: that the more I learn about it, I'm still learning, like everybody else. But uh, let's talk about a couple of news items here on AI, right? So Microsoft, uh, if you know, made a big investment in Open AI, the GPT technology. Not to be confused with Chat GPT, which is the product, but they're using the GPT technology into their Bing search engine and the Edge browser. And from what I'm reading, sounds pretty cool. I mean, you can tell it, create a vacation package in Mexico for five days and tell me how much it's going to cost. That kind of stuff, very advanced and, you know, cool advancements. That so could be handy because my they... wife is asking me to organize our summer <laughs> holiday right now. So. See, there you go. So this was... Yeah, so there you go. That's what, so they do, so they previewed that. And I think, I can't, I can't recall the time frame, but they say they're going to make it available to, to many, many uh, users uh, soon. So that's good that they're mm -hmm. using the OpenAI technology and uh, like any other, any new trend or new technology advancement. So they're ahead. So not to be left behind in this conversation, Google of course, uh, they had their version of this in uh, what's called their BARD, right? Uh, in the recent BARD launch, I think it was about the same time, a couple of weeks ago, when the Alphabet chairman, uh, John Hennessy, I think they may have uh, gone at this a little too soon, but I can sense the urgency that they probably had to put something out there to counter the open AI advancement by Microsoft. But I think it was... Uh, it was less than impressive was the consensus did, of did many I, articles. Did I hear yeah. like an eight-year-old child asked a basic question about astrology and it got it wrong or something like that? It I, got I it wrong. That... And I think they had to backpedal this one and they said, no, it's still about one to two <laughs> years before it becomes truly useful. And we're now concerned that it's giving inaccurate answers and inappropriate responses for the society and all of that stuff. So they probably jumped the gun on this one, but that's okay. Everyone's trying their best, right? So they're pushing forward, but not, not an impressive launch. So they, they probably have to go back and revisit the strategy. So that chatter is happening. But the net of this is, which I'm very interested in, is how is this going to be truly functional for businesses? What are the real use cases and how reliable can these be? So the good news is the games have begun. We'll have to see how they evolve and who the main players are. So very interesting. Mm. We should, you know, we'll keep an eye on this one in, in our podcast as we go along. The other one transitioning. So let's give IBM a break. Let's talk about Oracle again. Payment. So Oracle is launching into retail payments with its Oracle Retail Payment Cloud Service. And this is an this is an expansion of the, they have a retail cloud platform. So now they're making all these contactless payments possible in store and all of that stuff. So it's all in the cloud. Here's my question. All innovation from all of these big vendors is going onto the cloud. What about the on-premise applications that I have spent millions of dollars, maybe even perfecting, go down the list, like Oracle Systems, SAP Systems, IBM Systems. I spent all that money. Now, why am I not getting value or innovation in that product 
versus everything going to the cloud. Is this, Steve, is this one way for me to be pushed to the cloud? <laughs> what? Yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, you know, all the money is going to the cloud. Yeah, well, you know, the, the benefit that we were sold about going to the cloud was that you could always switch it off, you know? You, you try it for a while, if you don't like it, you can switch it off, you don't have to pay any more money. Hmm. Well, that's all changing, isn't it? In fact, the cloud is a way of software vendors being able to perpetually hold you to ransom for the software because you, you never actually outright buy it. It's mm. like renting a, a, an Avis car. You know, once, you, once you've stopped renting it, you've got to give it back. That's it. You've got no ownership at all. Same with software. So the opportunity to switch off support and carry on using that, that vehicle or that piece of software has gone away. So it's another way of locking in customers. The next thing is that lots and lots of the licensing, which they, they all touted as being really flexed up, flexed down. You know, you, your, your business shrinks, take some costs out. Your business grows, put some extra users in. All that gets thrown away by the vast majority of these vendors' licenses. Once you've added another 100 users, you can't take them back again. Mm. If you're a company that sells trees at Christmas time or turkeys for Thanksgiving and you want to be able to scale up and scale down, it doesn't work. The promise has gone away, but mm. the the negative piece, which you locked in, has stayed. Yeah, and, and this is right on topic with our how to free up vendor and budget roadblocks. So, I mean, the statistics are there. We've we've got a market which is 4.7 trillion in enterprise software, enterprise IT software being spent by organizations globally. But I was really surprised, and I didn't know this until I did some research before a recent Gartner presentation, that 500 billion of that, so less than 10%, is actually been spent on, on this clash, right? So really only 10% of the enterprise IT. So should organizations continue to increase that spend so that more of that enterprise IT budget is moving to the cloud? Are you suggesting we should stop because it's going to get worse, like you're going to be further locked in? Well, I don't know the answer. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you because it's one of these things. It's not which is the best option, it's which is the least worst option because you've got your on-premises systems, the vendor sunsets the, the, the on-premise systems, doesn't do any support, nothing's moving forward, but you're still having to pay your support mm. costs, changing perpetual licenses to make them not perpetual. If you take upgrades, you, you, you're changing the, the whole basis of the arrangement. Or if you're going into the cloud, you can't get back out. It's like uh, uh, Hotel California, isn't it? Isn't that <laughs> you know? Once you check in, you're not checking back out again. Okay. And Hotel California. And so do we have to go back to writing our own damn software mm. and um, buying the physical hardware and putting it in our own data center and having our own staff to support it? Because the alternative is just too toxic. Mm. And it also, I think, Brendan and Steve, I think it depends on uh, what are you using the cloud for? Cloud in itself is not bad, right? It's not bad. But what are you using cloud for? Are you using cloud for your systems of record, like an ERP, or you know, there's no feature parity and there's a big lock-in, there's a big risk? Or are you smart and using cloud 
in all your engagement type systems, right? Are you using cloud, the faster, the cheaper, but the more nimble type cloud technologies around the edges of your core system. So don't mess with your core systems. You've already perfected, have it great. But along the edges, you can have technologies that can increase customer satisfaction, customer service, you know, all the the social, the mobile, the, you know, all the faster, cheaper, more nimble, as I call them, that I think is a great way to use the cloud because you don't wait for this uh, big platform type, you know, SAP cloud or Oracle cloud and this cloud and that cloud, but you're going after a certain domain and there are so many great cloud technologies out there. So if you're, you know, if you can figure that balance I'm not going to mess with these things in the back end. No point. It's not going to move the needle for my business, but I'm going to use cloud in the front end with all these technologies, right? Anyway. Well, that, that, that's, a, that's a, a reasonable approach. In fact, I, I would say that, you know, enterprise consumers have got some legislative support from governments and things, anti-competitive behaviors, antitrust legislation, et cetera. But in the software business, I think it is about time that government started lifting up the covers. The European Union has been doing some really good work here and dealing with with vendors that are being anti-competitive. But the, the genuine thing, as a CIO, I recommend that you make sure that your systems are as loosely coupled as possible. And what I mean by loosely coupled is it means that when you decide that you've fallen out with that vendor or that they're not they're not supporting it properly, or it's not being evolved appropriately to suit your business. That you can actually eject and mm-hmm. bring in another one, and and it doesn't destroy your entire architecture. So that's that's the real approach. There's another approach where you can say, oh, let's go one vendor. And uh, in the old days, you did that with IBM. You know, you had all your IBM software on your IBM hardware with your IBM support, and it all worked together, uh, which was great. But then you're locked in. Mm. And actually, you've got to work really hard to not get locked in. Yeah, and you've got all the problems that we talked about at the yeah. beginning of the podcast about the rules being changed without you being told. Right. But, 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 Harry, to your point about that, you know, let's call it front end digitization. You know, unlock unlocking new paths for growth and enabling our, our overhauling customer engagement mm. and giving customers a better experience, or driving revenue to delivering new products, etc. Oh, that's great, right? And 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 we know that this is what the CEOs want, but yep. but there's a problem. And you know, what is the problem? The problem is they don't have the money, right? How do you pay for it? How do you pay for it? Yeah, and you I think you touched upon it all the got the presentation re, the recent research we've been doing here, right? It's gosh, 80% depending on the study, right? I'm just picking on a Gartner study, thinking of a Gartner study, 80% of the CEOs and the board want you to go digital, digital, digital. Nobody's getting a break. You know, forget, you know, despite all these headwinds you're facing, inflation, this, yes. But but Harry, you, you mentioned, you know, about being being smart about how you use the cloud, right? And front-end digitization to, I guess, un, you know, unlock new paths for growth, overhauling and delivering a better customer experience so customers keep coming back maybe you know reduce your churn customer churn but there is a problem which is being discussed and I, and I saw it in I think also Gartner a few Gartner plugs today that, that there isn't enough money to to deliver on the digital innovation roadmap that the CEO wants like what is the problem 
Well, that is the problem, the big billion dollar problem, right? How do you pay for it? And you alluded to it, Brandon, but 80%, um, you know, according to this Gartner study, 80%, 80 plus percent of CEOs board, everybody wants you to go digital, digital, digital first, and nobody's getting a break, you know, despite all the headwinds, right? We talk about inflation, we talk about, you know, uh, all the uh, economic uncertainties, all of that aside, I think you know not the CEOs and board recognize here's a great time to put the lead and grow the company, put the lead over competition, grow the company. But you need new technologies, and guess who's left carrying the bag? The CIO. It's like you know. And here's another one: ninety-six percent uh, of CEOs say that their their number number one focus is cost reduction. So I just don't understand. But uh, you know, you want growth, you want digital, you want this, but I want you to cut cost. I want you to be smart and Mr. Miss CIO. That's why I always think, you know, for the CIOs, these are the these are the best of times and these are the worst of times. I mean, if if you can figure this balance out, then you are, you know, it's a terrific time to be a CIO if you get that. So I would love to have Steve comment and get us started on, you know, yeah, Steve, yeah. you understand the dilemma, right? I mean, yeah. how do you how do you free up that budget to focus more on these digital stuff? Well, you know, I think the, the key thing is to recognize that all, not all computer systems are created equal. There are really three categories. The first one, if you said to the CEO, I'm going to cut costs on this, he'd look at you like you had two heads. He'd say, don't do that. Do not cut costs on this. Spend more money on it. These are the core systems that drive the business, the platforms the ERP systems, the manufacturing systems, the systems that you put more money in, you put more investment in, it drives customer retention, kills the competition, drives profitability, customer delight, all the things that businesses are designed to do. CEOs talk out of two sides of their mouth, but they're not talking about this stuff. They're absolutely mm -hmm. not talking about this stuff. The next, so I, I call this the invest category because the, the CEO knows about it and he's quite happy to write checks. No problem at all. I can get you more business if I can spend more money on this. CEO says, how much money do you want? And he gives you it, off you go. Because that becomes cost of sale. Then you've got the operate category, which is the kind of things you were talking about, about earlier, Harry. Things like the telephone system, your email platform, your document management system. You can spend 10 times more money on them. They make no difference. They don't move the needle. They've got to be reliable. Okay, mm -hmm. they've got to be reliable, but they need to be inexpensive. And that's where you can save money because you can do things like focus on proper asset management, not having too many systems. Um, get competitive, have loosely coupled systems so you can replace something that becomes too expensive and re replace it with something that's more modern. ISDN. Changing to SIP is a really good example of the telecommunications business. Fundamentally different cost model. So CIOs can focus on that. But then there's the third category. I call it the contain category. And it falls into the same place as Chernobyl. You know, they put this big concrete lid over the top. Mm. Radiation leaking. And that's the old legacy stuff. You've still got it. The business depends on it. It doesn't change very often. You know, it's something that just sits there, it's reliable, maybe running on the mainframe, running on mid-range platforms. And this is what we've been talking about earlier on today. We've been talking about some of these 
kind of dodgy vendors, just dodgy vendors are the reasonable thing to say, trying to do us over by increasing the cost of these legacy systems. Mm. We don't want to touch them because actually they're valuable. We spend the money on them. We've bought, bought the perpetual licenses. They're not changing. There's no driver for getting rid of them, except the vendors are trying to stiff us and mm. uh, take more money off us. Or they're just reaching the end of the support life and you can't buy the spare parts even on eBay. And, and that's where we are. So those are the three categories. Mm. You you can't really fix the invest category and the CI, CEO doesn't want you to do that. The operate category, there's loads of things you can do there to ma maximize your, your savings. The legacy or contain category, you need to start thinking about third party, third party maintenance, taking things off support if you don't need that support, gradually chipping away and, and ensuring that you're containing and, and reducing that cost. Yeah. yeah, well, the only way to put money into the first category is to reduce cost in one of the other categories. I mean, software software is the second highest spend category after people, right? So I can I don't really want to touch the people because I like the people, the people I work with. I don't want to see them hit the streets. So I've got to go after software. Yeah. But I don't I don't think I don't know. Is it a lack of is it is it fear? Is it a lack of information? We talk about FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Are we talking about a lack of information? I mean, is it is it that is it those two things that prevents people from saying, I'm just going to stop doing what I've been doing, which is fueling the mega vendors, you know, and following their roadmaps. Like, why can't we just stand up, be brave? And say I don't need you know there is an all there's an alternative way is it, is it fear or is it just a lack of knowledge? It's a combination of both, Brendan. There is a degree of fear because I mean the average CIO tenure isn't that long. You know it's mm. a couple of years or three years or something like that. And and lots of CIOs get fired. As an interim CIO, I I quite often go in and place somebody who got fired usually for doing something dumb. Now if you're in, in that kind of environment where you get fired for doing something dumb, you tend to become really risk averse. And as if you're risk averse, you, you, you don't stand up and say, well, I'm going to do something slightly different from all the other companies. I'm going to just come out of what the norm is because maybe you're going, you're going to get fired, but actually you get paid the big bucks. You're supposed mm. to take calculated risks Communicate clearly what it is that you're doing and get and get buy-in and get it done. Yeah. A lot of it is ignorance that the, the, the IT team don't really understand what the alternatives are. Yeah. Yeah. And the vendors try and hide it from them. Well, well what we need is we need more organizations like Sainsbury, who was who was one of our clients. Um, in fact, we won an award, a bit of a plug for ourselves here. I'm not sure if that's allowed on that kind of, you know, at this podcast, but we won an award, but it was but it was called the Save to Invest Award, right? And it was really, we got recognized by something that Sainsbury's did, which is they realized that they were getting gouged. They knew they needed to, to invest, so they saved money on unnecessary spend. So they did what you're saying. They 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 stood up, they were to be counted. Somebody yes. was getting paid the big bucks and they made the right decision. So it can be done, and it can be done. It can be done successfully. I mean, you you wrote a book about some of this, Steve, yes. which is uh, what every CIO wants. And I think the website is whateverycioowants.com. Is this covered in in your writing? It is a bit. Yeah, I covered the three categories of okay 
of technology and, and some thinking that CIOs really ought to have to understand how to operate effectively. And um, it's just many years of experience and loads of scars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, like it's a giveaway at 10 bucks because I was uh, yeah. looking at your website and reading it. So uh, so we should definitely buy a few copies here at Origin and hand around to our sales team. And, I'm, and I think we definitely will that. But it sounds like there'll be invaluable information in that. So that's What Every CIO Wants by Steve O'Donnell. And, uh, you know, you've got vast experience, Steve, with working now with the People's Pension, but also a CIO of, of actually one of our customers, Coventry Building Society. So uh, yes, I was CIO at Coventry and also at Gallica, the insurance broker. So I've been a CIO, I've got many, many years under my belt of being a CIO. And you learn what goes right and what goes wrong quite quickly. Yeah, well, I've, you've been, there's been many words of wisdom on today's podcast. And so thanks for that. I think we'll be taking some of those nuggets and maybe create atom, what we call it in the marketing space, atomizing them for, for, uh, for reuse. But you're not the only author in this room because we've, we've also written an ebook, which we've distributed on LinkedIn. And it's about driving digital innovation. So it's really kind of topical. I mean, this podcast is, is hitting on some of that. So there's a forward from our CIO, our C, CEO, I should say. And it does talk about, you know, the problem, the issue of budget, how to overcome it, you know, what's really going on, what's uh, motivating the CTO and and their instructions down to their CIO. And, and so it kind of talks about the problem, but how to solve them. So that's available on our website and also on our uh, LinkedIn page. But we're going to have to call it a day because we're going to go over time. And, you know, we, we'd like to keep these podcasts to to like people want to get in their 10,000 steps. They can listen to us. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, if we go on any longer, then they'll have to they'll have to walk uh, 12,000 steps. So I'd like to thank you both. I'd particularly like to thank yourself, Steve, for joining us today, giving us an hour of your time. Really appreciate that. And to, and to Harry, thanks, Harry. Thanks for making my job easy today. Thank when you I, both. Well, I thank stepped you both. In for, and Steve, appreciate your, your insights. And as Brendan said, valuable nuggets. Uh, I learned a lot. Yeah. Thank and hopefully you. our listeners did too. And, and if our listeners do have any suggestions as to how we could improve our, our podcast or topics that they'd like us to talk about or maybe if they'd like to have Steve back on and that's a suggestion well then uh, just email us at info at origina.com but we're going to leave it there for, for now so thanks again gentlemen really appreciate it that was really great discussion I really enjoyed it so sayonara over and out uh, Avrida Zayn okay uh, Atutalar whatever <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks guys cheers see you guys see you folks bye bye